0: You're listening to audio from Liberty Church in the Harrisburg-Camp Hill area of Pennsylvania. For more information, please visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org. That's Liberty with an I, Harrisburg.org. Well, if you have Bibles, uh, we're going to be at the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament, two different passages today. Uh, The first one is Malachi chapter 4. Uh, Verses five and six, and you can find it on page eight hundred and three. If you're using one of those uh, black hardcover Bibles under the seat, there. Chip mentioned this a little while ago, but but we have reached today the end uh, of our Elijah and Elisha series uh, that we've been in for this fall, Uh, and I really hope as we as we end it this morning that it's been helpful to you. Uh, I hope if you've been with us through this series that you can. Kind of look back over these couple months and see ways that the Spirit of God has been powerfully at work in you and through you, whether that's in your, in your family or with friends or whether that's through your Bible study group. I also hope it really sets us up uh, for a rich celebration of Advent, uh, which crazy enough is only a week away. But as we bring it to a close this morning, uh, here's what we're going to see. The Bible is one story. The Bible is one story. Elijah and Elisha, anticipate the realization that comes through John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. That's the one big idea that I hope you walk away with today. The Bible's one story, Elijah and Elisha anticipate all that is realized through John the Baptist and Jesus Christ. So let me pray for us and then we'll just dive right in. Uh, God of mercy, as we've already gotten to celebrate together this morning, uh, you are the God of the covenant. You have promised never to break your covenant with us. And so amid all the changing words of our generation, speak now by your spirit, your eternal word, which does not change. And enable us to respond to your gracious promises with faithful and obedient lives. We pray all of this for Jesus' sake and in his name, amen. So two things uh, for us to cover today, anticipation and realization. And we're gonna look at a short passage of scripture for, for each of those things. So first, let's talk about anticipation. And I invite you to listen now with open ears to this book that we love. This is Malachi chapter 4, verses 5 and 6. Behold, and this is God uh, speaking through the prophet Malachi. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. This is God's word. Uh, These are, uh, whether you knew it before this moment or not, you are maybe realizing now, these are the last words of the Old Testament. This is how the Old Testament ends. And I want you just to think for a moment about all that God has revealed about himself in the 39 books of the Old Testament that, that lead up to these concluding words. God has revealed that he is the creator of heaven and earth and that everything he made was good. He's revealed that though our sin corrupted his good creation, redemption is coming. He's revealed that he chose for himself a people through whom, as Maddie was just talking about, he would bless all the nations of the earth. He's revealed that he is the God who sets captives free. He is the God who brings people out of their slavery. And he is the God of the covenant. That, that even when we don't uphold our end of the bargain, God always upholds his. He keeps pursuing us. He he will, for our disobedience, send us into exile, but he's also the God that brings us back. That's just some of what God has revealed in these 39 books of the Old Testament. With so much ground covered, why does it end like this? Why does it end like this? Why is the final note of the Old Testament a promise about the return of this one prophet? Elijah. Probably a lot of specific reasons we could unpack, but just want to talk about two this morning. One is that because at the, end of, at the end of the Old Testament, so much remains unfinished. So much remains unfinished. And two, because so much about Elijah's life and ministry anticipates the day it will be finished. So between the Old and New Testament, and some of you probably know this, between the Old and New Testament, uh, there's a roughly 400 year long gap until the next recorded authoritative revelation from God comes. Imagine waiting 400 years for that. In, in our cultural moment, we, our attention spans, we can't wait 400 seconds for something. Imagine waiting 400 years. And it's not like things end on a high note. In, in this book of Malachi, which itself is three or 400 years after Elijah and Elisha, the stuff we've been reading about this fall, in the book of Malachi, the prophet is calling out a number of horrific things happening in his day, including corruption of the priesthood. There's corrupt and unfaithful clergy. God's design for marriage is being undermined. And poor and vulnerable people are being exploited and being abused. It's tragically familiar, is it not? And we said at the very beginning of this series, if you were here for it, we said at the beginning of the series, we have to stop thinking that our day is the worst human history has ever seen. Each era has its own unique challenges, its own unique struggles. We have to stop thinking that ours is the worst human history has ever seen. But note also what Malachi highlights here in these final verses. That when Elijah does come, he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. That statement assumes something else has gone horribly wrong. It assumes that there is hostility and enmity and all kinds of other breakdown between fathers and their children. That would mean that, that the fifth commandment, which is all about children honoring their mothers and fathers, it would mean that the fifth commandment's being violated. That would mean that the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, which is all about loving God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength, but also about loving your children enough to diligently teach them the things of God. That means that's not happening. This fundamental relationship between fathers and their children has broken down. Now, how much more is that true in our day? How much more is that true today? For us, it's not just hostility and enmity between fathers and children. It's absence. It's abdication. Men get women pregnant and then leave. And it happens just way too often in our cultural moment. Or maybe they stay physically present but they neglect their responsibility to to consistently and to sacrificially lay down their lives for the thriving of their wives, for the thriving of their children. Fatherlessness is a huge epidemic in our society. And I would argue, and more importantly, people way smarter than me would argue, that that actually lies at the root of a ton of other social ills. Abortion, poverty, sexual exploitation, I even heard a study this week about gun violence being connected to a lot of the people that perpetrate gun violence are men between the ages of 18 and 30 and had a broken relationship with their father. On and on we could go. Now on the other side of this, children don't respect or love their fathers. I find it fascinating that when the Apostle Paul writes the letter of Romans, and in chapter 1 of Romans describes this downward spiral where, where people reject God and then God gives them over to their sin and down and down it goes. I find it fascinating that in this list of examples of how bad things get, envy, murder, deceit, slander, homosexual activity, and Paul has this phrase in there, we become inventors of evil. The thing that he says after we are inventors of evil, the next thing he writes is disobedient to their parents. In other words, sin attacks the relationship between fathers and their children. Mothers too. Sin attacks that relationship too, no doubt. But I think it's not an exaggeration to say that as the relationship between fathers and their children go, so goes the world. So goes the world. And and in Malachi's day, at the end of the Old Testament, and in ours, the world, at least in some ways, goes poorly. We need rescue. We need redemption. We need restoration. We need the hearts of fathers turned toward their children and the hearts of children turned toward their fathers. If you've been with us in this series, do you remember one of the ways people refer to Elijah and Elisha? As father, as father. When Elijah is taken up to heaven in the whirlwind and when Elisha is on his deathbed, we looked at that last week, the refrain is, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. As far as we know, neither Elijah nor Elisha had wives or or any children. That they were not biological fathers. But they served as fathers to the northern kingdom of Israel in this time and place where all of the kings, every single king we've encountered in this series, wicked king, every single one of them, abdicating their responsibility to be like a father to God's people. And in the absence, in their abdication, these two men, Elijah and Elisha, became fathers. So this is not the main point of today's sermon. But men recognize just how high and noble a calling it is to be a father. And recognize the power that you have for good or for evil in the way that you love and serve and lay down your life for your children. As the relationship between you and your children go, so goes the world. And so in Malachi's day, So much is left unfinished. God has done so many things. He's done great things. He's revealed so much of himself in the Old Testament, but sin is still wreaking havoc. At the same time, so much about Elijah's ministry and then Elisha's after him is anticipating the day that the unfinished will be finished. Think about what we've gotten to to witness as we've walked through this series. In 1 Kings 17, God will not submit to death. Death will submit to him. In 1 Kings 18, God will have victory over all of the idols and over all idolatry. In 1 Kings 19, when we run ahead and over-realize God's kingdom or when we run away, God is the one who runs after. He runs after us. 1 Kings 21, God is both merciful and just. And so like Naboth, he will avenge the sins we suffer. And also like Ahab, he will forgive the sin we commit. 2nd Kings 2, God will break the power of sin and death. He will reverse the curse of sin. 2nd Kings 4, when no other redeemer is there, when no other redeemer is coming, God himself is coming. And God is not just one who raises the dead. God is the one who will provide the gift of an unexpected son in the first place. 2nd Kings 5, God's grace is for you, and God's grace is for them. The outsider, the enemy, And to receive the grace of God, all you need is nothing. 2 Kings 6, God opens our eyes. God is the one who cures our spiritual blindness so that we can see both his care, his intimate care of us as individuals, but also his command, his control over everything. 2 Kings 7 and 8, God is not a throwaway God. He's the God of restoration. And there will be one day a restored city. And one day he will bring us to our restored home. And then last week, 2 Kings 13, resurrection is coming. Resurrection is coming. If a corpse can touch the bones of Elisha and live, then how much more will the living God bring us back from death to life? See, in Malachi's day, this is what we don't get. This is what we miss being so far removed culturally from the end of the Old Testament. In Malachi's day, simply to mention the name Elijah is to proclaim, take heart. Take heart, people of God, Lift your heads. Because to you who are hopeless, hope is coming. And to you who live among a faithless people, have faith. In a world where hostility reigns between fathers and their children, there is still a faithful father. And of course, like like all the Old Testament, Malachi's words here, all of Elijah and Elisha's lives and ministries, they are anticipating the great salvation that God will accomplish through Jesus Christ. But before we get there, before we get there, when Malachi writes here that God will send Elijah, he's not necessarily promising a literal return of L- Elijah himself. He's promising that one will come in the spirit and power of Elijah. And what we find out 400 years later, when that next authoritative revelation finally does come, when the waiting ends, is that that promise is realized in John the Baptist. So second, 2nd let's talk about Realization. Realization. I invite you to listen again with open ears to this book that we love. This is Matthew chapter 11, starting in verse seven. If you flip a few pages over from where you were in Malachi, it's page 816 if you use one of the black hardcover Bibles. Matthew 11, verse seven. As they went away, Jesus began to speak to the crowds concerning John. That is John the Baptist. What did you see? What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What then did you go out to see? From the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence and the violent take it by force. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John, verse 14, and if you are willing to accept it, he is Elijah who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. This is God's word. Every spring, when Jewish people around the world gather to celebrate the Seder meal at Passover, There's a a special cup and there's an empty space reserved at the table for Elijah. And at a certain point in the meal, one of the the children that's present for the Seder, one of the children gets up and goes to the door and opens it to see if Elijah is coming, if Elijah is going to come and celebrate the Passover with them. It's an incredible picture. It's an incredible liturgical yearly rhythm of anticipation, remembering those words from Malachi It's this rhythm of watching and and waiting. But what so many Jewish people missed 2,000 years ago, and what the Jewish faith continues to miss today, is that Elijah has come. He has come. John the Baptist came, Luke chapter 1, in the spirit and power of Elijah. This promise in Malachi was realized when John the Baptist was born. And Jesus is saying here that John was the last of this long line of Old Testament prophets. And that among all of those prophets, that would include Elijah and Elisha, among all those prophets, none was greater than John. And yet, even John came to point beyond himself. He came declaring that that the kingdom of heaven was coming. Just as Elijah was a forerunner to Elisha, John the Baptist came to prepare the way for Jesus. So I really hope you've gotten to hear this throughout the series. I hope you've seen glimpses of this as we've studied these books the past couple months. But what Elijah and Elisha anticipate is realized in John the Baptist and in Jesus Christ. There are so many similarities. I don't have time to do them all today, but just a couple. How is John the Baptist like Elijah? Well, both of them spent time in the wilderness. Both of them had a very distinctive style of dress, and not everyone appreciated how they dressed. Uh, Both of them faced off against a hostile political power. Elijah went toe-to-toe with Ahab and Jezebel. John the Baptist went toe-to-toe with Herod and Herodias. Each of their successors was anointed at the Jordan River. And then as we've said, each of them pointed beyond themselves. Each of them served, they did their own incredible ministry, but each of them served as a forerunner preparing the way for one who would come after. So now how is Jesus like Elisha? How is Jesus like Elisha? He is the son who receives the spirit. Elisha is Elijah's spiritual son. If you can remember from several weeks back, he's the spiritual son who asks for and then receives this double portion of Elijah's spirit. Jesus, of course, is God's son, who at the Jordan River is anointed with the Holy Spirit. He is the redeemer and the ransom. So for Elisha, this miraculous provision of oil becomes a ransom that keeps these two young men out of debt slavery. But Jesus comes and gives himself as a ransom to buy us back from the debt of sin. He is the prophet who raises the dead. Elisha raises the Shunammite's son. And years later, not far away from that very spot, Jesus raises the son of a widow from Nain. He goes on to raise the daughter of a man named Jairus. And then he himself, of course, is brought back from the dead. He's the provider for the poor. As we saw with Elisha, he multiplies and purifies food in the midst of famine so that the poor don't suffer and die. And in very similar miracles, even as he cares for their material bodies, their physical bodies, Jesus demonstrates that he is the true bread that has come down from heaven. He is the one who will give his own body as bread for the life of the world. And the last one I'll mention today, he is the one who brings good news to the world. Elisha was the instrument of God's grace, not only to that northern kingdom of Israel, but to a man like Naaman, an enemy, a general of of an enemy army. Jesus comes proclaiming good news, not only to the descendants of Abraham, but to the nations. He, he comes breaking down the dividing walls of hostility that separate groups of people from each other. In him, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for we are all one in Christ. So as you're, as you're hearing, we're, we're covering a lot of ground as we're trying to wrap up this series and bring it all together this morning. The main thing I hope you take away from today is a deeper appreciation that the Bible is really one story. It's one story. Malachi and Matthew, the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New, they reveal to us the same God, the same story. A scholar named Ray Dillard put it this way, we do not meet a new and different God when we cross over that blank page between Malachi and Matthew. Everything we have seen in this series about Elijah and Elisha is anticipating the realization that comes in John the Baptist and in Jesus. Now next week, we'll begin our celebration of Advent. And as we say some point every year, Advent is a season of anticipation. Anticipation. Like the people of God in Elijah's day, in Elisha's day, like the people in Malachi's day, we get to enter into something of their anticipation. We get to watch and wait for the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. And we do, as we do that, we also experience our own anticipation. We, we are looking to the second Advent, the second coming, where Christ will come again. But for us, friends, and I hope you hear this this morning, Advent for us is also a season of realization. Not just anticipation, but realization. And I love this habit that we've gotten into most of the past five or six years here at Liberty of studying an Old Testament book in the fall. It deepens my longing for Jesus. And I hope it does the same thing for you. When we open up the Old Testament in the fall and we see God's promises, And right beside them, we see all the brokenness. We see the wars and the famine and the death and the exile. We see the fatherlessness. It makes us cry out we need a better prophet. We need a better priest. We need a better king. And then Advent comes, and here he is. And here he is. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory glory is of the only father, only son from the father full of grace and truth. See, Jesus Christ has come into the world. And as great as John the Baptist was, Jesus himself says, no one greater born of a woman. The least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. I really want you to think about that this morning at the end of a series about Elijah and Elisha. As great as Elijah and Elisha were, faithful among the faithless, as great as John the Baptist was, Through the work of Jesus Christ, you have been made even greater. Why? Well, it's certainly not because of the stuff we do. I haven't done anything as cool or significant or powerful as Elijah or Elisha or John the Baptist has ever done. Why? Why are we greater than them? It's because you and I are not just anticipating the work of Jesus. We are realizing the work of Jesus. We We get to be brought into all of the blessings and benefits of his finished work. We are those who don't just have to anticipate. We are those who realize. So two ways, two ways to respond to this. First, know the story that you are in. Know the story you are in. Know the story of those who have gone before you, the faith of your fathers. In a cultural moment where where expressive individualism reigns, in other words, where people are most concerned about expressing whatever it is they feel, whatever it is they think in any given moment, recognize the infinitely deeper roots you have as a son or daughter of God, as one who gets to realize all that was anticipated for generation after generation. And did we not get to hear something of that just a little while ago in those snapshots? You get to hear people's stories, you get to see the the grace that God has shown us in in all of its variety and its varied ways. Thanks be to God, we are a rooted people. We're a rooted people. We are caught up into God's work of reconciling the world to Himself and Jesus. And for all the the struggling and the wrestling and the doubting that we will experience in, in this broken and sin corrupted world, you don't have to be whipped around by every new idea. You don't have to be tossed back and forth all the time because you are in this story. You are in this story, men and women. Your anchor holds. Your anchor holds. So know the story that you are in. And second, pass the story on. Pass the story on. The hopeless in this world need hope. The faithless in this world need faith. The fatherless in this world need fathers. And in Jesus Christ, they are invited into all of that. They're invited into all of that. Parents and dads in particular, pass this on to your children. Pass this on to your children. Make your home the embodiment of God's restoration, of his reversing the curse of sin. In other words, do everything in your power so that in your house, the heart of the father is turned toward the children and the hearts of the children are turned toward the father. But don't stop there. Because not all of us are fathers. Not all of us will be. Pass the story on beyond your home. Beyond your home. Elijah and Elisha did not have their own children. They were not biological fathers, but they served as fathers to a nation that desperately needed fathers. Ours does too. And the the primary way they did that was by living and speaking and serving in faithful ways that pointed to the one true God, the Father of all. So men and women, as you have entered the kingdom of God by faith in Jesus Christ, as you have thereby become even greater than Elijah, even greater than Elisha, even greater than John the Baptist, with the spirit of the living God now dwelling in you, may you live and speak and serve as the very presence of Jesus Christ. This is one story. So may you know the story you are in and may you pass it on. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, you, you have authored this story. So all glory and praise to you. Thank you for the story you have written, and for bringing us into your story. Give us eyes to see that it is one story, that you are one God. Give us eyes to see that all that Elijah and Elisha anticipate is realized in John the Baptist and Jesus. And give us a deeper gratitude for all that we get to experience, the realization of what Jesus has accomplished. I pray that as we now prepare to come to this table, that we would see the unbelievable gift that is that we live on this side of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We've been brought into this story, into your kingdom, that Jesus would say of us that somehow we are greater than John and Elijah and Elisha. Just renew our awe that, that Jesus, you would say that about us because of what is true of us through the work you have accomplished. Help us to see it today, even as we come. We pray that Jesus in your name. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Liberty Church. To learn more about our church or to listen to previous recordings, visit www.LibertyHarrisburg.org.